And uh, he came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. But the uh, last uh, chapter in this uh, uh, book uh, talks about, uh, Behold, this is chapter 4, verse 5, last verse. Behold, I will send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And therefore, that means we've got to go to book of Revelation. So the last Sunday will be in the book of Revelation with the two witnesses, which I think one of them is Elijah, who comes before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to give you the date for that. There are books that say uh, when that will be. They're all on sale uh, right now. So uh, you can figure out they didn't give you the truth. Uh, but on the other hand, it is a uh, great and notable day. Someone gave me a picture here of Elijah, which you probably can't see, but this is up on Mount uh, Carmel, and he stands there with a sword because uh, he sort of emptied out two seminaries, uh, the seminary of Baal, uh, which was a very baleful place, and then also the one of Asherah. 850 prophets were all on scholarships uh, paid for by Jezebel. Uh, I call her Jezzy because I think I know her. Uh, and uh, she's just a rascal anyway. But at any rate, uh, thank you for risking the class. And uh, I hope we can have some uh, fun in the Word of God. Sunday school ought to be a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, book-by-book, so that when we get to heaven, you'll be able to pass the literacy test. Uh, I'm sure there must be one, and for those who can't, they've got to stay uh, outside for uh, training classes, I'm sure. Uh, there's a verse for that. Hesitations one, two. So uh, that's where you'll find that. Okay, enough fooling around. Let's uh, go to prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. Thank you, Lord God, for giving to us your word. It is a marvelous and matchless word. We receive it with joy. Fill our hearts with that same joy. May we sense the power of that word, too for it is that which is able to divide asunder even things that can't even be uh, split apart. So for your goodness and for the power of your word, we give thanks. Now come, blessed Holy Spirit, and help us to apply these texts to the honor and glory of your great name we ask it. Amen. So Malachi... I have to tell you, the, some of you know this story, but it, it is such a, a very personal thing. Many years ago, I was in Toledo, Ohio, speaking uh, in an evening service uh, 
Yeah, when there was a thunderstorm, too, as well. 2,000 people were there from a denomination I'd never worked with before. And on the way up to the platform, the man who was going to introduce me, he had a whole sheet. He read the whole miserable sheet of all of the things. And the only one who could have appreciated that was my mother. And she was already in heaven, so it was wasted. But at any rate, uh, he said, what are you going to speak on tonight? And it happened to be this passage. And I said, I'll speak on the uh, last book of the Old Testament. But then he went up, rooted around for a Bible, and then started thumbing through it real fast. I thought, uh-oh, this is going to be a long night. And sure enough, he introduced me and then said, our speaker tonight will speak on the book of Malachi. <laughs> so not a soul whimpered. There, there was no response. 2,000 people, and there wasn't one Christian. Uh, and <laughs> I thought, well, I'll give it another try. Thanks, my mother and all. But uh, I'm glad to be here to speak on the Italian prophet of the Old Testament. <laughs> And three Dallas grads smiled. So, at any rate, it was a, a, a long night. This text begins, my text says, an oracle. But no, they're wrong right from the start. I worked on the NIV. I didn't do this one. And, by the way, if you get in line in the final day up in heaven and you're behind translators, Get in the other line. It'll just go faster. But uh, some of those translators, uh, I'll tell you later on how many times. This is the Hebrew word masa from nasa, the lift, meaning what's heavy. It's a burden in every case except two in the book of Proverbs. It's always a burden. So a burden, the word of the Lord came to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, that's what this book is about, the love of God. And you can only add one other verse to that, chapter 3, verse 6, where I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. So I put the two together and call Malachi a study of God's uh, everlasting or unchangeable love. Unchangeable, Malachi 3.6. Love, Malachi 1.2. Which is an amazing thing. These people, he's going to go on to describe them. They are much like the United States today. They just don't give a hoot for the Lord. They don't care for truth. They don't care for justice. They don't care for mercy. They don't care for the poor and the oppressed. It was all about me. That was the me generation. And yet the Lord says, hey, guys, I promise you, I have loved you in the past. I now love you. And I'm going to keep on loving you. 
Why? Because of his mercy. His grace came first. And then his peace came after. We heard David Jeremiah uh, last night. He was preaching. He said uh, two words of Paul in all of his great uh, letters. Grace and peace. Never reverse. Never peace than grace. Because you can't have any peace till you have grace. So here too, the love of God is bound to what? That he had put his mercy and his love on them. He's the one who took the initiative to go to the cross for us. And he's telling this to Israel. Israel who had been elected. Now don't run away from that word. That's a biblical word. I know this, the, these towns around us are Dutch. Uh, and they uh, believe in the sovereignty of God. That's good. And they're Calvinists. That's okay. Uh, matter of fact, I found out when I went to uh, Oregon, beginning of July, on July 3rd, someone asked me about Calvinist. They said, do you know why Calvinists said all firecrackers and all of their uh, things on July 3rd, not July 4th? I don't know. Has that question ever struck any of you? I'd never heard of it before. But, yeah, they, they, they do that because it's doctrinal. It's a doctrine. Yeah, with Calvinists. I said, what doctrine? Oh, they said, it's the doctrine of predetonation. <laughs> I think they stutter a little bit. <laughs> Oh, well, all right. Uh, that was in the text. Uh, that was on the margins. But uh, the great theme of this uh, book. So the name of it means messenger or angel of the Lord. And its style is conversational. This is the only prophet that put all of his words in prose. The majority and most of the prophetic books, 16 books in the Old Testament, is in poetry. So it's hard, not this one. It is so straight, we wish he'd put it back in poetry so we could say, I don't understand. But we do understand. This is very conversational. It's very direct. It's like you and I talk. So we should be able to get it. And these people are also constantly, the Lord makes assertions, and they rebut it. They say, who? Us? We did that? When did we do that? We never did that. So you have that, for example, right in verse 2 of chapter 1. I have loved you, says the Lord, which he uses capital letters. Do you notice that? So this is the covenantal name of the Lord, Yahweh. But you say, or you ask, how have you loved us? These rascals just said, you love us? Since when? 
I mean, uh, you talk about people with chutzpah. Uh, that's chutzpah. You know that word? It's a good Yiddish word. Yeah. Um, you go to look it up in dictionary, it'll be hard. C-H. It begins with a C. C-H-U. Uh, chutzpah. Well, at any rate, in chapter 1, verse 2, and again, in verse 6, uh, it gives a proverb. Sons generally honor fathers. Yeah. Servants, their masters, right? Jesus says here, through the father, if I'm the father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is my respect? Uh, says the Lord Almighty uh, to you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. The very people that were supposed to teach the word of God were ripping God off and showing despite and contempt. But then he says, but you say, who, us? How have we shown contempt for your name? Would you believe that goes on, and I have here one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in this book. In just four chapters, they're able to say, who, us? We did that? When did we do that? Reminds me. We were just married uh, in 1957, right after Noah got off the boat. And um, we were house parents for 13 freshman boys at Wheaton College, Christian College. But about February of that year, I heard such a clatter upstairs, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter at the quote of famous passage. And uh, I went out, I went right over to the uh, foot of the bed, taking the covers with me, and uh, my first wife, Marge, yelled at me, give the covers back. But I still was a little drowsy, went out in the hallway, and this is one of the older homes. It had a doorway to the stairs going upstairs. I opened the doorway, and I was so tired, I went up on all fours which was providential, because as I got to the top of the stairs, here was a broom handle with a bucket full of water. When I questioned these Christian boys, they had a sudden loss of memory. They couldn't remember what its purpose was. Uh, and then I looked at them, they were all in their skivvies, soaking wet, there were balloons all over. They were holding balloons full of water, and it had splashed up against the landlady's uh, wallpaper, and so that <clears throat> they were like the psalm. Uh, one side of the wallpaper had moved in toward the center and had kissed the other side, like mercy and truth kiss each other. And I said, gentlemen, gentlemen, What's going on? And they joined me. They were right there with me. They showed indignation. Who was doing this? I mean, there they are, uh, all soaking wet and uh, fully geared for battle. Uh, 
and apparently they were having a water fight. Uh, and uh, every time I read this book, I see those 13 guys, 2 a.m. in the morning. With, I'm trying to hold one eye open so I can see them. And they kept saying, uh, uh, they went down the line. They said, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? They didn't say, they knew it would be lying to say, no, I didn't do it. So what else can you do? Put it in the form of a question. So they put it in the form of a question and passed it down the line. That's what these buzzards did too as well. Same thing. And there are five calls that God gives to us through this book. We're going to look at the first one this morning, chapters 1, uh, one through 5. A call to respond to God's love. God is still giving his love, not only to Israel, but to the likes of ourselves. And the question is, how well have we responded to that? But then a second call, verses 6 through 14. A call to be authentic. Uh, by the way, do we have uh, overheads here, or didn't they get them? I guess they didn't get them. And then a call... In chapter 2, <laughs> that's the end. Go to the first one. So the call to love God totally, chapter 2, the first 16 verses. Then a call to trust an unchanging God, chapter 2, 17 through 3, 12. And then finally, fifthly, a call to take inventory, 3, 13, through 316. Five calls. Call to respond to God's love. Call to be real, to be authentic. A call to uh, love God totally. And then a call to change and trust an unchanging God. And a call to take inventory. So let's look at this focal point. I have loved you, says the Lord. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we want to take up the interrogative here, what? I'm going to ask out of six questions, you can always ask a Bible passage. When you're doing Bible study, you have the five W's, who, what, why, where, when. Or the one H, how. Now, that comes straight out of sixth grade. It's not tough stuff. That's how they taught journalism. You have to answer in an accident, if you're there, the who, the what, the why, the where, the when, and the how. Uh, so you, only in a newspaper article, you're supposed to hit all six. But in teaching the Word of God, you only hit one. Why? Because it's confusing. So just focus on one. I've chosen the interrogative what this time. What? And I have a key word, aspects. What are the aspects of God's love for his people, Israel, and for us? I think there are three aspects of that love. Three aspects 
we can find here in this call to respond to God's love. And I think it begins, first of all, with his election love. Uh, that's the first one that uh, uh, comes here. So this book, Name Malachi, which, by the way, he doesn't tell his father's name. All the other prophets do. Uh, uh, he doesn't tell us where he was born. All except Habakkuk tell us where they were born. And uh, uh, some say, yeah, but it begins with a burden. Do you know what? The last two sections of Zechariah, which was the book written just before this one, begins Zechariah 9.1, a burden. Zechariah 12.1, a burden. Malachi 1.1, a burden. So they say these are three sections written by an anonymous person. But I don't think so, especially when they got his name there, Malachi. So don't bother saying that uh, uh, because I think it's already uh, there in a, a beautiful uh, section. What's the date of this prophecy? It's post-exilic, just like Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And so there is a temple here because they talk about it in this book. So that temple wasn't put up except in Haggai and Zechariah's day. You remember, they came back from captivity in Babylon, 538, began working on the temple. Book of Ezra tells us this. It was going well, but the old folks looked at that and they said, uh, how in the world is it that uh, uh, we uh, 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 have this very small footprint of this building? It, we saw Solomon's building. And Solomon's building was a whole lot better than this. So the young people who were saying, yay, we're going to have a temple, and the old folks who said, ah, it's, I told you it was too soon. We shouldn't have built now. It's not the time. Uh, and they had such commotion, they stopped. And for uh, the next uh, 15, 16 years, they did zilch. Zilch, until God sent Haggai and Zechariah along, two prophets who said, hey, get a move on. Put that building up. So they finally did. So we should figure approximately 520 B.C., the last book in the Old uh, uh, Testament. And therefore, we begin our Lord's Election love. That's the first aspect here. And the word to love occurs in the Old Testament 32 times, but 23 of those 32 are given of God's love for his people Israel. There are three characteristics of God's love. 
God's love is completely sovereign. There is nothing that comes close to it because no one comes close to him. He is beyond all descriptions of uh, any quality or virtue that we know. So God's love is sovereign. God's love is unconditional. He doesn't put conditions on it. He doesn't say, if you love me, I'll love you. His love goes before our love and in spite of our mischief. He says to Israel, hey, in chapter 3, verse 6, I read, uh, I change not. Because I change not, you're still around. You ever figure out why this world is still in place? It's because God's love. If God should have said, okay, enough of this nonsense already. I'm going to start all over again. We'd all be wiped out. And no one should ever have said, hey, wait a minute, unfair, unfair. On what basis? On what basis? The love of God trumps everything. And that's what we're speaking of here. It's unconditional. Thirdly, not only is it sovereign and unconditional, but it is uh, continually personal. God's love is not way off and beyond. He is right in the process with us. C.S. Lewis tried to figure this out. Uh, if you haven't read any of Lewis, it's about time you did. A mere Christianity is basic reading. Uh, we, for every freshman that came into Wheaton for many years, that had to be the first thing they read. And Lewis, uh, uh, typical style, he gave these lectures, remember, on the BBC during World War II. They invited him to say, what is a Christian? Can you explain it? So he wrote the book, Mere Christianity, following the BBC uh, lectures, which were all broadcast in England, uh, first of all. But in this uh, book, he talks about four loves. He says there's love, first of all, of an artist for his painting or his artifact. They feel very much attached to it. They put their sweat and their effort into making that artifact. That's love number one. It exists on that level, but it is certainly not personal. Secondly, there is the love of a person for their dog. My granddaughter just went all the way out to California to get a dog. She's going to teach out in the western part of the state, four and a half hours from us out near Eau Claire. She'll be teaching high school uh, biology and physics. And uh, so she needed comfort. So a friend out in California said, come, I'll show you this little schnoodle. 
It's a combination of a poodle and a schnauzer. And it's just a 12-pound thing. That was it. And they got home, brought it home a day before, and that poor thing's getting loved to death. Uh, now, we do have two other mutts in the house. They did not think this was a good idea. So they are totally against it. But no one was asking them to vote. So you have that second kind. But it certainly is. And they said, uh, Granddad, hold the dog for a while. Get personal with the dog. Yeah, so I held the dog, and the crazy thing comes up, licks my nose, you know, and uh, he's trying to make uh, friends with me. By the way, his name is Jack, of all things. I don't know, it's not a biblical name, but at any rate, uh, so uh, you can have an artifact, the love of an artist for his work, or the love of a man for his pet, his dog, or the thirdly, the love of someone for their child. And what a delight that God gives to us children. It still is amazing to me. How is that, that, that all that work for nine months takes place in the womb of a mother and then is delivered, and you look at it, and like everybody, you count the fingers, and you count the toes, and you say, how did this happen? And we still don't know. We think we do. We give X and Y and play checkers or something. But anyway, but it was, C.S. Lewis said, here, I'm going to give you my best illustration. It's the love of a man and a woman for each other, a spouse. He said, that's the closest. And he said, that's the love, if it's working well in the house, that forgives the most, but puts up with the least. It forgives the most, but yet expects the most, too in that marriage relationship. Not bad, not bad. Close, still misses the love of God. It's better than the artifact, better than the, uh, the dog, uh, better than the child, and even better than the relationship that exists with a spouse. So Lewis tried to help us. What is this love in which God called out one particular people. Why? We don't know. He said, I'll tell you this, it was because you were the biggest nation. They're the smallest, actually. It wasn't because you're the most faithful nation. Actually, you're the worst. I could have gotten people, and he did. He tells the story in Jeremiah of the Rechabites, in which he calls them in, and says, Jeremiah, bring them in the house of God and give them uh, some wine. And they all come in, and he hands out the wine, and they say, no thanks. They said, why? 
They said, because our great, 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 great grandfather said, no, don't build houses, don't plant vineyards, and don't drink wine. And the Lord said, Jeremiah, how come these people can keep a human command, but my commands they can't keep? And Jeremiah says, in effect, beats me. Lord said, beats me too. <laughs> That's a marginal reading. It's on there at any rate. But God called them. And he said, through you, I want to give my message to all the world. So, in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, he promised that seed of the woman, he promised also that uh, there would be descendants, and he promised the land, yeah, and he keeps on doing that all the way through 66 books. Election love, election love. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to the mm, Jew first, and then also to the Greek. There is divvies here on what came first. So, the uh, people gave an incredible response, though. For they said, who? Us? You've loved us? Uh, when did you love us? And, and <laughs> you almost want to slap them for being so, excuse me, snotty. I mean, this was just way out of hand. Uh, they were just insensitive to the magnanimous love of God. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that evangelicals sometimes are just as non-compliant to the matchless love of God. And so he makes the point here, was not Esau, Jacob's brother, the Lord said, yet I love Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Oops. I thought the Bible said, no, no, you're supposed to love everyone. So what is this about hate? God dislikes with a passion all phoniness, all sham, all pretentiousness, all hypocrisy, all pride, all lying, all false works that stir up dissension. For the Lord does express anger. Let's take the easy ones first. For example, in John 11, 33 and 35, Jesus shows up at the house where Lazarus was with uh, Mary and Martha. But Lazarus died, and they had sent a message to Jesus, come, your friend Lazarus is very sick. Jesus delayed. Purposely, maybe. But when he came, they came out and said, oh, Lord, if only you had been here, our brother would not have died. If only you'd been here. And uh, Jesus said, show me the place. So they went out. This is up on the 
tail end of the Mount of Olives. You can see it from Jerusalem and way far over to the south. Uh, so you're looking southeast from uh, Jerusalem is this uh, city uh, where he was. And so he said, uh, I take it not in too loud a voice, because if he had used a loud a voice, it would have emptied the whole hill, which is filled with graves. If you've ever seen uh, the, the, the whole of uh, the, the mountain that uh, comes up Mount of Olives, it must have, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of graves there. And when the sun comes out, that limestone blinds you. So you've got to put on your sunglasses to even see it. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And out comes this zombie uh, with his feet bound, boom, 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 not making too much progress. And he said, loose him and let him go. That's what many congregations say after a sermon goes on too long. Loose us and let us go. Not here, other places. Uh, just giving these as prayer requests. But at any, at any rate, uh, the Lord, the text says, he was angry. He was mad at what? Death. Do you like death? I don't. You don't. Neither did our Lord. He didn't like it at all. It said he got, when we put it in good English, teed off at death. So uh, what's opposite of love then? To love is to prefer. It is to think more of. So Jacob have I preferred. Esau, he uses this word, not in a psychological way, but in a preferring less. Jesus said, love your father and your mother. But then he said, whoever doesn't hate father or mother or lands, etc., isn't worthy of me. You say, which is it? He's using that not as a psychological term but rather as preferring less. God chose Jacob because through him was going to come the promised line. Edom was not chosen. So what does it mean then? Does God have passions? Oh, yes. We had uh, in the New Testament uh, people called Gnostics, and they were trying to prove that uh, a God doesn't have emotions, but he does. He has the full range of emotions that we have. So what does it mean then that God hates? That God hates. It's a passion in God raised fully against the presence of sin. The presence of sin. Our problem with the word anger and hate is we use Aristotle's definition, which means the desire to get even. God doesn't have to get even. He's God. He's God. He can't go any higher than that. 
So what do you want to get even for? So it doesn't make sense to use Aristotle's definition. But God's definition is, oh yes, you should have a passion in which there is a giant dislike for all that's evil and it's wrong. It was like Tentius, the church father, third century AD, who wrote a whole book on that, The Wrath of God, in Latin, Ira Dei, I-R-A-D-E-I, Ira Dei. And he showed that the wrath of God was not to get even, but was rather to show his great dislike for all that went uh, the opposite way. So Jacob is elected for service. He's got a job to do. And uh, Esau's hate was not a sign of revenge on the part of God or his people. For apart from our Lord, anything uh, that we do uh, is uh, to be judged by the character of God. But let's ask the second what. Uh, what aspect of the love of God can be seen in the third verse, last part, 3b through 4? And that's our God's justice love. Israel could have been a consumed. We read that in chapter 3, verse 6. It was the love of God that prevented that. We could have been consumed, but it's the love of God that prevents that. God keeps on calling, 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 just like God called Samuel. Called him once. He ran to Eli. Eli said, hey, kid, stop bugging me. Get back to bed. That's marginal reading. Uh, second time he went, he said, go back to bed. Third time. But now even Eli, <laughs> he gets it. He said, if that voice comes again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Sure enough, the text says, Lord came and stood there as at other times. You imagine the high, holy God standing before the likes of ourselves, waiting, waiting, waiting for what? Our prayer. Waiting for our prayer. In Genesis 18, uh, uh, 20, when God visited, remember there were three visitors came to Abraham, and uh, uh, one of them obviously was the angel of the Lord, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the flesh. For they treated them, and they thought they were men. They ate food. Abraham prepared a meal for them. But uh, our text says that the Lord, and it uses the word now, not an angel, which it had originally, the three angels came there, but the Lord came, chapter 18, verse 20, and stood there in front of Abraham. 
waiting for him to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah and Adama and Zeboim and Bela, five cities of the plain. God waited and waited and waited and waited. What a loving God. What a patient God. What a Lord who is fully just. So, Eden could have been laid waste. For you remember that uh, he comes in an assorted way there, and the Nabataeans ransacked Edom. Yeah, there was always a remnant. They left a remnant. Uh, so, uh, we sang this morning in church, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light and accessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, your great name we praise. And that's what I think we're coming to here. Uh, Edom said in this passage, uh, verse 4, Though we have been crushed, we will rebuild. Ah, uh, that sounds like the passage in Isaiah 9. Jonathan Kahn, Kahn a rabbi, Jonathan Kahn, C-A-H-N, wrote the book, a number of you have read, The Harbinger. How many have read that book? Oh, look at that. That's good. Oh, what a intelligent audience. Well, at any rate, uh, Jonathan Kahn talks about when the towers fell down, they fell toward, one uh, part of them, toward a church which was the very site where George Washington walked across New York City with the cabinet and the House of uh, Congress at that time to begin the business of a new country. And they planted a tree there, but that tree, cedar tree, was obliterated by the stuff that fell down. And what did uh, we say after the buildings fell down? Jonathan Kahn said, we will rebuild. We will build again. And then he goes to Isaiah 9 and shows we will rebuild. Well, it's the same thing here in verse 4. They said, yeah, God judged us, but we'll rebuild. We'll rebuild. And this is the me spirit uh, that says uh, we can put it back together again. But God's love meant that uh, he would be able to rescue a remnant out of that crew. It would not be their efforts at rebuilding. It would be his efforts. The third aspect I hurry on is God's universal love. So we have uh, 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 God's election love in uh, uh, one and two, and then we had uh, God's justice love in 3b through 4, and now in verses, uh, uh, verse 5, God's universal love. For this time, 
the text says here, uh, after he went on to say in verse 4, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked people, the people always under the wrath of God, Edom. Edom was judged according to their just deserts. But now verse 5, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. The difference the love of God makes. God will be magnified. How far? Not just in the people he called, the Israelites, the Jewish people. He will be magnified beyond the borders of Israel, way beyond them. And the Lord will magnify beyond the border of Israel. God's love exceeds, goes way beyond all national, political, geographical, cultural, uh, whatever kind of educational boundaries we want to put up. His love penetrates all of that and exceeds anything we've ever seen. For the promise God gave right from the beginning, Genesis 12, 3, Abraham, in your seed shall all the nations, I mean every nation, all of them will be blessed. The blessing, if there's any good, any righteousness, any purpose, any cause that lasts, will come through the blessing of God. The blessing of God. So God's call is uh, the one here in which he says it's all over the world. It's universal. But God's love reached out not just to Jacob, not just to Israel's people, Abraham's people, but God's love included beyond the borders. Why, it reached even Sheboygan. That's what the text is trying to apply here. So our conclusions. Do not confess God's election love for Israel with, uh, confuse it, I should say, God's election love with his justice love and his universal love. They're separate, but they're all the love of God. They're all the love of God. And he must not, we must not take God's love for granted. For we must dislike evil, sin, unrighteousness, and injustice wherever it occurs. So, uh, we need to think about some things here. How is Edom's role in the future much like Pharaoh's role in the past? God called Edom. God called Egypt. Did you notice in Exodus 12.38, it said a multitude, a mixed multitude, left Egypt with the Israelites. What multitude? Egyptians. Egyptians. They bought into the gospel message. And so they went out with them. So the biblical text says also throughout the whole Bible, 
Edom will also be represented in a future day. Why? Because some accepted, received the love of God. We sing the song, Oh, Love of God. It just keeps on going. If I had an ocean of ink and a pen that could keep on writing, I wouldn't be able to keep up with the love of God. It just exceeds everything and anything I know. We're very, very special people. Very, very honored this day to have that love of God. Also, how is God's love supposed to go beyond the borders of Israel? Through witness, through our saying so. So God called us, then call all to be teachers, then call all to be ministers, then call all for the work of the church and missions. But he still called everyone. So, Lord, open my lips. We've got to share this. This is a good word. It's got to go out all over the world. And this word is a word, I have loved you, says the Lord. Well, that's the start. Next week, we go to the rest of chapter 1, and it's a doozer. So if you want to know a lesson that you should skip, this is it. A call to be real. A call to be authentic. Well, I've used up all of our time here. Uh, we'll take some questions. Oh, by the way, you know what you can do, too? It helps me with my dumb ears to write a question out and give it to uh, Nancy. And if I can't answer it, you'll, you'll answer it. <laughs> yeah. This is a special day for Nancy. Day number one out after she's had surgery on her knee. So uh, this is a very special day. She wanted to come and hear her husband. Uh, you talk about the love of God. <laughs> That's a lot of love, too, as well. So let's pray and give our Lord thanks. Father, thank you for your word. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You say over and over again, you loved Israel and you love us, and your love keeps on going way beyond the borders of Israel. So increase your effectiveness this very day. Do your work among the nations. We see it happening, Lord. It's gathering up quickly. I can't imagine how we were so blessed to be in days like this. But there it goes. And it almost is following verse by verse the Bible. Heavenly Father, help us to trust you. We must be going to see you very, very soon. So help us so to live. And we bless your name together. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.